0: Welcome back. We are so glad, once again, that you are with us this morning for Crosspoint Online. And uh, we are really looking forward to what we have going on this morning. Uh, Obviously, if you are a part of our church family, you've been tuning in over the last several weeks. Um, This is not normally how this is set up. There's usually one of us up here sharing. But uh, we have decided to kind of wrap up our series that we've been working through called Pause to take some time to address questions that, that you as our church family submitted. Now if you've been with us over the past several weeks, you know we've been doing this series called PAUSE where we're, we've been walking through different topics that every single one of us deal with in some capacity or another. Um, things that probably we have biases about and uh, experience in and we have ideas formed around. Um, but it can be really easy for us to just run forward with what seems right or what seems to make the most sense to us and not really stop and consider, okay, but is, this, is my experience lining up with what Jesus says, what Scripture says? And so we just decided, you know, as society has hit the pause button, we as a church will hit the pause button on some of these things that we've always thought uh, to be true, compare them to what Scripture says, and then align our thinking to, to what God says. And it's been awesome. I know it's been stretching for all of us as we've walked through it um, and, and really encouraging as we kind of align our lives with what Jesus says. But we have this cool opportunity in front of us to not just hit these topics one time, but instead go a little bit deeper into them. And so we got a bunch of questions from you, our church family, surrounding these different topics. We're gonna kind of work through them this morning. Uh, It'll be a little bit more of like dialogue heavy, and we'll be talking through uh, what these things mean for us as individuals, as followers of Jesus, and as the church. And so we're really looking forward to it, and it's gonna be a lot of fun this morning. We're glad you're here as part of it. So, if, if we go back to the very beginning of when we started this series a number of weeks ago, um, we, we kicked off the series with a super light topic of suffering. <laughs> and, uh, and if you remember all the way back there, uh, it, was a, it was an awesome message, and there's a, there's a ton of truth in it, and really, really helpful to, to all of us. And we got this really great question that I think uh, helps frame the whole rest of, really, our conversation here. Um, the question was worded like this, and these will be up on the screen uh, so that you can kind of follow along well. The question was worded like this, is suffering a consequence of my sin? And then they kind of ask it a little bit more uh, generally or a little broader, is COVID-19 a consequence of our sin? And uh, I think that this is just an excellent place to start because really what this question boils down to is like the character of God, the heart yeah. of God, and how we experience the things that happen in this life. So we'll throw it over to Travis. Travis, a uh, Spoke on this all those weeks ago. I know he loves this. So uh, that question to you, is suffering a consequence of my sin? And uh, just to provide a little bit of context, when the person who wrote this in, they kind of asked, you know, is it, a, is it something that I'm experiencing now from a mistake I made years ago, yeah. or maybe someone else in my family made, is, is all suffering a consequence of something that I've
1: done wrong, which is, I think is helpful. Yes, Kyle, all suffering is a consequence of things you every suffering in all the world that is a Uh, lot to take (laughs) I think it's a really good question because I think it's one that we all struggle with um, because we, we have this sneaking suspicion that like I must be being punished for something Because we know that we've done things wrong. Um, I think in answering this question, the big picture is I don't want to put God in a box Mm -hmm. and say he can't do this or he won't do this or he always does this. Mm -hmm. I think we need to look at scripture and say, what do we see in scripture? And I do think we see in scripture and just from experience in life that we experience consequences from our sin for sure. Um, I mean, that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I brought up in my message was just kind of like, hey, you know, if you're waking up in the morning with a hangover, you're saying, God, why? Why am I, you know, why am I suffering right now? Like, you know why. And I think that. That's kind of it's ridiculous, but it's kind of the point is that when you're experiencing consequences from your sin, typically it's very clear and connected. Mm-hmm. Like you know what you mm-hmm. just did that's, you know, this. Now certainly there are sins we can do that kind of plant a seed for consequences in the future. That's definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. I think though, um, like... First Peter 3:17 um, comes to mind to me like when I was looking at it this week, it says, "For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So we know that we can suffer because we do evil. We know we can suffer for doing good. So the point is mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Suffering's going to happen. Um, but I think we need to be very careful to link specific suffering in my life to, man, is something happening from way back? Because it would be like this, um, if one of my kids did something two years ago that they never got disciplined for. And I remember it today, and then so I do something, you know, to discipline them today. And they're like, what did I do? You know, that doesn't build their character. It, right. it's, that's revenge. Uh, God is not vengeful towards his children. He's disciplining them. So he's going to use suffering in our lives to cause us to become more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I think the question isn't, you know, why am I suffering as much as what now? What do I do with this right. suffering, and how do I let it be, make me more like Like Jesus, and I think it's we we darken God's counsel like Job, like in the book of Job. Mm -hmm. We darken God's counsel when when we try to answer specific questions for specific sufferings Mm -hmm. with you must have done something wrong. Mm -hmm. It's typically not the right answer for that. Yeah, Yeah, that's really good.
2: Yeah, and I think to piggyback off of that, um, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3 says, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. And, and basically, it's just the author of Hebrews is saying, like, look, consider Jesus who did face suffering, and Jesus being the ultimate example of one who did not sin and bring suffering upon himself, but actually was living and um, taking the suffering, really taking the punishment that we deserved and taking the sin that we do and taking it upon himself. And so the author actually says, be encouraged by this that Jesus endured uh, this hostility um, so that you don't get weary or fainthearted as you walk through this. And, and so, and as he goes further in, he talks about and makes this case of um, exactly what Travis just said, that God, God is all about building our character, transforming us, causing us to become more like Jesus. And that discipline, and in Hebrews 12, discipline, that word is, is a range from like teaching um, all the way to severe punishment, and so the idea is that God will use um, everything in our life when it comes to suffering to cause us to become more like Jesus. He'll He'll use that. So sometimes it's something I've done wrong. Um, that I'm suffering for, but God says, but I want to take that and I want you to grow through that. Sometimes it's that someone else does wrong to me and God says, you know what, I want to take that and I want to grow you. And sometimes it's God doing something because he wants to work me. And it might be in the form of just simply teaching. It might be in the form of like reproof or crea- correction. Um, so really suffering is one of those things that I think as we look at it from the big picture is is that is that suffering is one of the most incredible tools in God's
0: toolbox, regardless of why we're suffering, to help us become more like Jesus. I think that's so helpful to, like, see it in that way, because I think for most of us, when we endure difficulty, suffering, Mm -hmm. our immediate reaction is, like, this is punishment, because this is not good. This is not helpful. Um, And vice versa. If things are easy, if things are comfortable, Mm -hmm. we're like, oh, things must be going right. Um, But I I know in my own life like i've i've missed out on opportunities to grow because i only saw suffering as a negative thing Mm -hmm. it's not a fun thing ever i don't Mm -hmm. think anyone would say that but it always like leads to transformation which Mm -hmm. is so cool and uh so you know taking that application on a personal level Mm -hmm. that it's always about us becoming more like jesus and our transformation if we, if we pull that lens out a little bit, looking at culture right now, mm-hmm. is COVID-19 like a consequence of our sin? Is that, <laughs> is that something we should consider?
1: Uh, my answer to that would be, um, if we look scripturally, certainly we see a plague being part of something God can use uh, to correct a group of people. Um, you see that in, in Egypt when Moses is saying, let God's people go, and Pharaoh won't, so God brings plagues. Um, the thing about that though, is we have like objective words from scripture saying this was that, Mm -hmm. this was God using a plague to correct, to get the outcome he needed to happen. Um, we don't have that with anything, you know, we don't have any scripture saying, Hey, in 2020, COVID-19 is going to be this correction for the whole world. Um, so could God do that? Certainly. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we have the objective data or proof to say that it is. So again, I think speaking up and saying that's what this is would be darkening God's counsel because we don't have mm-hmm. objective data or, or proof. So the point isn't then this is that. So we just sit here and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the point is how do we let God make us more like Jesus yeah. through it?
0: And yeah. it's full of opportunities, right? Absolutely. The season's just massively yeah. packed with them. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, I think I think, as Travis said, I think really helpful that, we really don't know if this is a judgment, but what, what what I think we do know from Scripture is that Paul says super clearly that uh, all creation is is groaning for basically the return of Jesus. That that when Jesus comes back, he makes everything right. And so uh, Paul describes creation uh, is similar to the pangs of childbirth, mm-hmm. and, and we see all of these things that are going back and forth, and um, the trouble, the the natural disasters, and and plagues and pandemics and things like that and i think what we can know is that this this pandemic is part of the groanings of creation within creation the created order of reminding us that there will be a day that Jesus will return. We don't know when that is, but but that it is this. It's part of those those pangs of childbirth, of of moving into a place where Jesus does come and make things right. And so, regardless, I think it's it's hard because if we zero in on saying um, this is a specific punishment for something, it leaves us to kind of our own devices to decide what mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. as opposed to this is a reminder that all of creation is is, is groaning for the, for things to be set right because this reminds us of how wrong things are.
0: Um, and so I think that's maybe helpful to focus us in the right direction. Yeah, and that leads perfectly into the next <clears throat> question that we got kind of in this category. Mm-hmm. If, if the earth is like groaning toward Jesus returning, um, and right now we look around and there is suffering and there's a lot of uncertainty and, and things feel a little crazy um we got a we got a number of questions kind of asking mm-hmm. are we in the beginning of the end times is this <laughs> leading up to jesus return yeah
1: go ahead Matt. <laughs> okay um, <laughs>
0: you know it's
2: it's interesting because i think every every generation um has has an has a thought that you know this is the generation that jesus is going to return um you go all the way back to the apostles Um, and they were talking and writing like they were expecting Jesus to return at any moment. And, um, you see Paul having to correct those in the church in Thessalonica because they were actually, um, so sure that Jesus was coming back. They, Mm. they stopped being responsible. And, um, I remember in, in, it was 1989, um, on Rosh Hashanah. That's when Jesus was supposed to return. I don't know if you were part of that. You remember that thing back then, but, um, there, there's that reality that um, when Jesus ascended into heaven from His earthly ministry, that began. That was the beginning of the end times. Um, that was that was actually that started the clock to whatever God set it at. And and it's, the Bible's really clear that we don't know. And so, really, the end times is from the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven till He returns. So, Peter. Paul, John, Matthew, all of them were living in the end times as we are living in the end times. And I think probably the thing for me that I see, especially um, the book of Revelation and the encouragement that it is to me, it's, it's not you know, a secret decoder booklet <laughs> or manual, but what Revelation does, it reminds us that Jesus is victorious. Yeah. And that is, that is a fact, that is a sure thing. Not necessarily that we're trying to decode it or figure out uh, when it's going to happen because God already said that you're not going to know. Mm. Um, and I think Revelation is that reminder saying, hey, you're on the right track. Mm. If you believe God for who he is and if you've, if you've surrendered to Jesus Christ, you're going to be okay uh, in the midst of all this. So, so that's kind of you know, where I see biblically us being led.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I think just the reality, uh, what Matt said about the apostles were really teaching that uh, when Jesus ascended, that's when the, mm-hmm. the the end times began. So everyone living between then and now, it's been a long time, but it are the end times. The way I'm looking at it is that, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're living in the last book of human history, but we're not sure what chapter we're in. Is it like the last mm-hmm. chapter? Is it three chapters before the end? We don't know. Um, my personal feeling is that when we get to the place where like, the stuff that's written in Revelation is actually happening. Some of the stuff in, in Daniel and even like um, other books of the, of, of, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, there's some end time stuff in there. Um, that when that's actually happening, I think the church worldwide is going to be very clear that it's happening. I don't think you're going to have some people saying it is and other people saying it isn't. My gut, this is Travis, my gut is I think it's going to be really clear when that's happening. And, and, and the important point of this is that even when you read in Revelation, when when Jesus talks about it in Mark 13 and things, um, there's some signs, like even Jesus in Mark 13 says, here's some signs. And then he says, but the end isn't yet. It's not yet. (laughs) Uh, And then in Revelation, there's times where it's like some stuff is happening and then, but there's further to go. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't know, but the call for Christians how we live, never changes. There's no place that says, okay, so when the end times hit, here's this special way you're going to be behaving. No, the call is constantly mm-hmm. be passionate about Jesus, mm-hmm. be preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth, uh, be holding to your confession, mm-hmm. and and people need Jesus, and you need to become more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's the call, whether we're right now, or whether we're then, whenever that end chapter is, that's the call. Yeah. That's
0: so good, because basically that... that those writings about the end times, they give us assurance and they mm-hmm. let us know, like, keep going, keep yeah. going with as much passion as you have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, whether it's tomorrow or thousands of years down the road, like your mission is the same. That's so encouraging. I think, mm-hmm. um, we got, uh, a few questions that came in that we kind of clumped together into one general question, mm-hmm. um, that, that referenced the heart behind the second message that we shared. Uh, Matt preached about money and, um, how, Really, when you peel it all back and get down to the very bottom level of all of that, uh, it's about where, like, our treasure is, it's about where our priority is, and it's seeking God first, putting Jesus first, and all the rest will be added to that. And a few of our—really, all messages come down to that. But uh, Mm -hmm. we got a great question kind of asking, okay, but how? Like, like, how do I do that? What do I do when I feel like I fail? So it's worded like this, how do I seek God first with money and other issues— and how do I handle guilt when I feel like I fail at this? Which I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm positive, every single one of us can resonate with that. Mm-hmm. I've all felt like, yeah, I want to put God first, but I feel like I falter at times. So, so what do I do with that? How do I mm-hmm. actually do that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I think this is a great question because it, it reveals
2: so much about what I think all of us feel. Because if, if we're being honest and we read Scripture and we read what Jesus wants from us, we all recognize how far we fall short. Um, you know, we 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 all know that you know that our sin causes us to fall short. But then, when we're forgiven, we 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 try to move. We we have this maybe uh, um, unreasonable feeling about ourselves that now we'll be able to achieve all these things perfectly. And so, like when when we're confronted with the idea of seeking God first in all things. And we fail at that, then we feel like, oh, I, I, I'm terrible. I'm, I failed God. He's disappointed with me, which isn't, isn't the message that God gives us. The message that Jesus gives us at all. And and so I think it's important to understand that seeking God first is not an additional thing on our list of things to do yeah. today. So like, you know, I need, I need to, um, you know, I need to, I need to uh, do the laundry, <laughs> and I need to uh, go to work and get this done, and. I need to seek God. And so I want to check those things off. And that's really not what it is. Um, Just listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, looking at verses 16 and 17. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, whether you speak it or you're doing something, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I think seeking God first, maybe, maybe a, a way to like uh, evaluate that in your life is this issue of gratitude. Um, we see gratitude coming alongside uh, of so much of the teaching of Jesus, and and so if I'm if I'm doing laundry, if I'm doing uh, a project, if I'm working on a sermon, if I'm if I'm uh, mowing my lawn, all of those things, if the attitude of my heart is is of gratefulness for what God has done and what God allows me to do. Um, then, then that's seeking God first. And so I think the seeking God first is something that happens while we do everything else. Um, and, when we are, and when we are ungrateful, maybe that's a, that should be maybe like a switch that flips to say, wait a second, if I'm ungrateful right now, that might warn me that I'm not actually seeking God. But when I'm grateful, maybe that's the switch that flips to say, gosh, I think, I think I'm seeking God because there's a, a deep sense of gratitude as I'm doing these things, even though maybe what I'm doing isn't that great. Uh, so I think that maybe helps. That, that that's not God doesn't want us to feel guilty or, or shameful because we fail at that. God just wants us to be on track and remember that I think gratitude is part of that.
1: Yeah, I think inviting God into every moment, mundane or not, and saying, be with me in this moment. I, I made a decision several years back on my drive to and from work, I wasn't going to listen to talk radio anymore because I'd just be angry anyways. <laughs> and, and second of all, that was a moment I could invite God to just kind of be there with me and we could start mm-hmm. and, and my work workday uh, well. But I think it's also inviting other people into it mm-hmm. too. Uh, um, for a long time now, I've been very just like cut to the heart by this passage in, in Matthew 23 where Jesus um, is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees and he says, you guys load up, this load of, of, of guilt mm-hmm. and, and weight of the law, of all these things that the people must do, you load it up on their backs, um, and, and you don't lift a finger to help them. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think about myself as us as a pastor and just we as a congregation, we're supposed to be lifting a finger to help each other on this. This isn't easy. Becoming like Jesus isn't easy. It's hard, and there are things we don't trust him in. Uh, that we want to, but that we fail over and over again because it's just so hard to let go. That is the way it is. Like the bulk of the New Testament is written to people saying, guys, I know you're (laughs) struggling, but here's the goal. Keep going, keep becoming more like Jesus. And I think that's what we need to do for each other. We need to invite each other into this so if you're struggling with something there's a part of your life you just like man i just i'm not trusting god with my money i'm not trusting god with my uh bible reading or my thought life or how i uh speak to my my family or whatever it might be and you're having a hard time letting that go or letting that over invite someone into that and and have them keep you accountable and have them pray with you um, this is a gracious uh, becoming more like jesus day by day um, mercy is also part of god 's righteous character yeah. so we have to be merciful and helpful with each other
0: yeah I, I remember someone said this to me years ago and it stuck with me like all through all kinds of different scenarios um, it was it was uh, doubt and I think you could even say like guilt or, mm-hmm. or failings like in isolation like makes your soul sick like when you try to deal with that on your own it, it damages your faith but doubt in community or failing in community or guilt yeah. in community um, that that strengthens your faith. And I think mm-hmm. that that is so true as we try to walk through things on our own. Um, no wonder we keep getting tied up in these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I even think about when Jesus, like as he saw so many like completely broken, like shame filled, like at their lowest of low people that he had interaction with um, that he healed and that he forgave mm-hmm. and that he like called to something better. Um, I, think it's, I think it's an awesome tension where he didn't say like, no, you've been good all along. Like mm-hmm. there's a need for a change here. But he never said, "Nod, nah, stay down there. Like, yeah. keep yeah. feeling that. He always, his call was always like, get up, you're forgiven. Let's go and, and sin no more. Let's go and do this thing. And I think that, that that's a compelling picture, I yeah. believe, of what, yeah. what God calls us to do, which is awesome. Um, we got a question about prayer. And we kind of, uh, we put it in the context of the, the message that we preached on family because we felt like it was an excellent, excellent uh, kind of tie in to as we lead our families, as we lead our kids. And it was worded like this, why are, why are for so many Christians, is prayer a last resort? Ugh, like all of us, man. How do we make prayer central in our church and in our family? Um, so why is it such a last resort? How do we make it more central? Knowing, I think everybody knows who's watching right now, it's important, right? Yeah. Like we get that. But how do we, how do we place it at that level of priority?
1: I, mean, I think why does it tend to be your last resort? I think for a lot of us, it just wasn't modeled for us that bringing God into mm-hmm. every situation is is, is the best uh, absolute thing we can do um, and even most fulfilling mm-hmm. thing we can do in our lives. I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, you grow up and and when there's an issue or there's something that's needed or something good happens, you you take, take care of it. You just take care of business. You do what you need to do and it's done. You move on rather than capturing that moment mm-hmm. as a moment to bring God into it. And I think, you know, uh, something that I'm convicted about is stopping at every moment. And if something great happened, like stopping and thanking God with your family for that, what what better way to show your kids that all good gifts come mm-hmm. from the Father in heaven than by stopping and actually thanking him when something good happens right. or when you need something. Stop and say, <laughs> pause, right? And yeah. say, kids, let's, you know, family, let's pray about this. Let's ask our Father in heaven for this. Mm-hmm. And then the awesome thing is when he answers and he provides mm-hmm. Then you get to stop and you get to say thank you, and that's just planting seeds in our family's heart that mm-hmm. God is with us. He wants us to uh, respond to Him. He wants us to bring Him into every mm-hmm. moment. So I think just stopping and simply praying at each moment in life with our with our mm-hmm. family is just a huge way we can lead our kids. Yeah,
0: I? yeah. I, I mean, I feel like super passionate about this because I feel like I get a front row seat sometimes to to how people especially teenagers obviously uh, like approach prayer like anytime like we're together and we ask them to pray i mean you would think i'd ask them to like murder someone or something <laughs> they're just like no 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 i absolutely 100 percent, cannot do that never ever
1: and and you really
0: it's like pulling teeth to get them to to engage in prayer and and i have to check myself from being like well, why not don't you love jesus which i know that's not how it works but um but I, and I'm certainly not saying that, like, parents have done a terrible job with their kids or whatever, but I look at my own life and my own children, and I'm like, am I, in, am I instilling, like, a love for prayer in, in my kids? Do they, when they see me pray, is it real quick over food? Is it just to get something done? Like, I wish you would go to bed, so we're going to pray that God would make you sleepy and that he would <laughs> give you peace so that you can go to sleep, so can, I can go do what I want to do. Or am I like, hey, this is, this is your direct connection to God. This isn't even something you watch me model, necessarily. This is something you can actually do with God, which I think is, like, so, so powerful if we do it right. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the
2: things we've done as a family, and this is really probably more of a testament to Sherry, but... Um, as our kids were little and they were growing up, we, we, would, we would end the day with all being in the same bedroom, kind of laying on the bed and praying together. Um, and um, then, it, then, you know, and that just was, that's what we did. And that was what we, you know, that was what our kids grew up with. And then at some point that gets weird as kids get older. And so, you know, high school, college, that, then it's kind of weird. Um, so we ended up transitioning, which was really Sherry's idea, which was super cool, um, so we, we, we get Christmas cards from people and stuff like that. So we put all of our Christmas cards in a basket. And I don't know, maybe you do this as well, but um, they just kind of sit there and eventually they, they go away. Well, um, we had decided that throughout the year, uh, when all of us were at a meal together, typically a, like a dinner together um, at home, we would pull out a card and uh, we pray at the end of our meal um, when, we have, when we eat in the evening um, and so we grab a card and then we pray for whoever, that person or family that's on that Christmas card. And uh, so it's actually a cool thing that we've been able to do as a family. And um, I think it does teach something about the, the significance of prayer. Um, it's so easy to get lost in a prayer meal mm-hmm. and kind of be redundant. And so this kind of helps us remember that it is something, prayer is a real thing. It's not just a, uh, words that we recite. Um, but this year, what's funny is that um, in years past, We've been going through them, and, you know, just because of schedules and craziness, uh, we don't always eat together, and so when we do eat together, we grab a card, and we get to, like, November, and we got to maybe pray for two families to get through (laughs) so we're ready for Christmas and getting cards again, but it's funny, this year with the pandemic and eating so many meals (laughs) at home together, um, like, last week we finished, this week we finished the Christmas card, so, like, it's really funny because It just tells us how often we've been eating together as family, which is great. um, But it's been really cool. So I think that's been helpful. I think for our maybe our kids and our family Mm -hmm. to see the significance of prayer.
0: So they're running light on cards. So if you want to send the Whitefords (laughs) a card, a pandemic card, uh, then oh, a pandemic card. That's a thing. Right? It's it's probably (laughs) (laughs) gonna be a thing eventually. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Kyle just asked you to murder someone. (laughs) Untrue. Untrue. Awesome. Oh, man. I, one of the things I appreciate about that is um, sometimes I think we approach prayer and we think of it as like either this really massive thing or we're not exactly sure what words we're supposed to use and like how we're supposed to do it. Um, and oftentimes it can end up just being uh, hollow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we attach some kind of uh, like praying for Christmas cards mm-hmm. or something kind of out of the norm to kind of help us hit the pause button, and approach it with some intentionality I think there's all kinds of really cool and unique mm-hmm. ways for us to yeah. instill a value of prayer in our lives and specifically in our families, which is awesome very cool um, The next set of questions uh, came in uh, surrounding uh, the message that Matt preached a couple weeks ago that I don't think I've ever heard a message preached on this before, and he he preached on the environment. And it was really awesome to just to hear what our response to creation, how we're supposed to care for it, and stuff like that. And we got this question in, how do we live from a healthy biblical worldview when it comes to our environment? Um, So easy to fall into one extreme or the other on things. Um, So how are we actually supposed to view the world the environment and what's like our approach biblically to yeah. it
1: yeah i mean i for me i i uh my mind when we thought about this question goes back to genesis 1 and just the creation of the environment mm-hmm. creation of man and uh god there's um in the creation narrative god creates these three environments of which to put things into mm-hmm. so you know sky and and you know waters and land and, and and then he and he places living beings in them and and um I think what that says to me is that, you know, the, the earth, um, it is, it is man's home. This is where we're Mm -hmm. supposed to be. And we can tend to get this thought that this isn't my home and, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven in this kind of spiritual ethereal place. And that's the way it's going to be forever. Uh, the narrative of scripture actually doesn't say that. It says that we die and we go to be with Jesus. We don't know much about that, those moments. Um, but then we're going to return to this earth with new glorified bodies and God's going to recreate it. And this is going to be our forever home. This is what heaven is going to be. Um, And so I think, you know, when we think about it that way, uh, this earth was created as man's home. And so the question we need to be asking is what causes flourishing for mankind? That's what God wanted from the beginning, that he creates this very good place and that mankind continues to make it good and better and better. Um, So... The reality is that there's these resources God's put in here and they're to be used like we're supposed to be using the resources of the earth for, for the flourishing of humankind um, and and also we shouldn't trash the place yeah um, if it's our home we should be able to use the resources in it but also let's not trash it so mm-hmm. there's this tension there I think because of br- the broken world we live in mm-hmm. but uh, that's the reality is that this Mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. Mm-hmm. This place is created for our good, and so let's use its resources while not trashing it. Mm-hmm. I, that's a very general uh, answer to that, but I think that's kind of where my mind goes mm-hmm. when we talk about this.
0: Yeah. I think it like it captures like what is true in so many of these types of questions, is it's easy for us to want to mm-hmm. land on one side or the other, but so often like Jesus is like a third way. It's not, yeah, yeah use it all up because it's yours. Do whatever you yeah. want with it. Or like live in underground bunkers and don't even touch the planet, like, that's neither one of those is like how we see Jesus functioning. It's a, it's a third way. And and I think that that's true in so many, so many of the different uh, Mm -hmm. categories, places in life that we find ourselves for sure. Um, To wrap it up, we're going to end on a doozy here. Um, There's obviously a a lot of passion and emotion uh, surrounding, you know, how we're supposed to interact with our society and uh our authorities and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff especially right now and matt did a great job uh talking us through some of our biases and our responses as followers of jesus and we got we got this question in what is a christian's role in public political discourse so clink (laughs) (laughs) let's go for it it's it's an awesome excellent question that has far-reaching consequence but how should we respond in, uh, with the voice that we have mm-hmm. to uh, the political discourse that is out there right now? Yeah, yeah I, I think that um, as human beings,
2: we, we are passionate, and, it's, and we feel strongly about things, which, which is good, um, but that also is impacted by our sin nature and, and uh, the world around us. And so it's funny, the people who are most vocal we see as passionate um, the people who don't are, are not vocal. They're actually pretty passionate about not being vocal. I mean, just <laughs> like start engage them in a conversation. So it's not that one group's passionate and one group's not. It's that we are passionate as people, um, and so these things are important to us. The, the The struggle, I think, is that so often we get too focused on the immediate, which is the immediate disagreement or conversation or situation. And forget that there's something bigger out there, which, which really is the fact that whoever, whoever I'm having this conversation with, there's a reality that they, they are going to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And um, the moment of that argument might pale in comparison hmm. to what's at stake for eternity. That doesn't mean we don't we don't have those conversations. doesn't mean we, we maybe back off and say, okay, I'm just not going to say anything. Um, but we do have to be, I think as Christians, more than any other people, we have to be really intentional and measured in words that we use Mm -hmm. and how we unleash our emotion. Um, because that has an impact on pushing someone in one of two directions. Um, when we did a series on Daniel, um, we came out with this term. Uh, the, the series was kind of looking at us as exiles that were part of Christ's kingdom, but we live here, and this is where this is our home. Um, and one of the terms that we came up with that was this, like this idea of a third way, which is we are loyal. We're we're to be loyal subversives, that essentially we're loyal to to the to the to the authorities that are around us, yet in a sense we're subversive because we're always pushing that third way of Jesus. We don't use the world tactics, we don't use the world's ways, but we're subversive. And you see that in the story of Daniel. You see that in so many stories throughout the, the Old and New Testament. And it's hard to walk that line, but in every case, the thing that, that, that all of these people have in common is that they are passionate, Yet they are very measured and very aware and having an eternal perspective of souls and salvation and, and, and eternity. I mean,
1: yeah, I, um, the, the scripture to me that really spoke to me on this today and, and convicted me honestly this week as I was looking at it was 1 Thessalonians 4 9 mm-hmm. through 12. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Uh, that was the Thessalonians. I think he might say to us, You have need. <laughs> Uh, for someone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you brothers to do this and more, or more and more, Mm -hmm. and to aspire, listen to this, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders, and be dependent on no one. I I don't think that that at all precludes Christians from using their influence Mm -hmm. to speak up. Um, I think there's some very important things we need to speak up on. I don't think it precludes us from having an opinion, Mm -hmm. Um, but as I thought about this, it's like I don't think that in the church uh, we, we need to have like, workshops on like, how to have an opinion and, and express your opinion. I think in America we're pretty naturally good at that and we just do it without thinking. I think, if anything, we in the church need to work on, it's, it's stopping, pausing, and prayerfully, biblically, um, thoughtfully mm-hmm. thinking through things before we speak. Like, do you, are you sure you're right? how often do we ask that questions of ourselves? I have a very strong opinion. Mm-hmm. But do you stop and say, am I sure that I'm right and there's no other way to look at this? And if you're not willing to do that, I think there's probably some issues with, mm-hmm. with pride there. I know for me, there is because I, I will speak up and I'll have an opinion about something. I'm full of opinions. But how often do I stop and just like thoughtfully review what i'm thinking you know i don't have to just jump on it and say something right away so i think for me that's that's important is there ever like um an an opportunity where like there needs to be a show of strength like a christian needs to uh, uh, yeah but i would encourage us to look in scripture and look at just jesus's life and look at the moments he actually did have a show of strength and if our only Mm -hmm. response to that is he turned over the tables Wow, that's not even close to the, the show the the strongest show of strength mm-hmm. Jesus did when he actually surrendered and laid down mm-hmm. and was nailed to a cross. so I think we need to be thoughtful and uh and biblical and prayerful as we think about how we interact with our culture
0: yeah yeah we we spent some time talking about this when uh, we were prepping for this, and it's even going to make its way it's going to be a pretty big theme, I would say uh, in the next couple of series we're going to be talking through, but we were we were talking how our experience growing up in an american church mm-hmm. in this time uh in history we're kind of like an outlier of an outlier like we've never had so much freedom we've never had so much comfort we've never had so much so so loud of a voice to use and that's not a bad thing that that's a it's a great mm-hmm. thing if we use it right but it's not everything yeah. and uh you know we think i think to like these churches throughout much of our history as a church all over the world like right now who have no voice whatsoever and i can't get i can't get past that like they're doing just fine yeah like they don't have like influence at all but the mission of jesus is still like speeding forward in those places because Mm -hmm. they're committed to respond the way that he would and it makes me it kind of checks my heart a little bit because i'm like if if we used the voice that we have In that same way, man, I got to believe we would see some really, really cool things happen uh, to advance the kingdom of God, which is awesome. And I think that that's an excellent way to kind of like wrap this up is, you know, in all of these things, so much of it comes down to, are we willing to hit pause, whether we're about to engage in some kind of conversation, when we're about to go to prayer, when we're about to spend money, when we're about to go into uh, make a decision that affects the environment, whatever the case may be, are we willing to push pause, ask the question, am I responding to the way that Jesus would respond? Um, yeah. I know it seems simple, but I feel like if we took the time to do that, we would mm-hmm. see so much change in how we approach things. And obviously, conversation around these topics is nowhere near finished. <laughs> this <laughs> is stuff that we continuously come back to all the time as individuals, as a church, uh, but I think this is an excellent, excellent uh, foundation as we move forward to become more and more like Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna throw it back to Christine. She has a couple more pieces of information to share with you. Thanks again so much for being with us this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for who you are, for what you've done, uh, for what you've modeled to us, God. I'm I'm really grateful that where there is perhaps some uh, uncertainty about how to deal with every single tiny thing that comes into our life, God, um, there is massive amounts of clarity on who you are on your character, on uh, how you handle situations and how we're supposed to handle them in light of who you are, God, in light of being a part of your family. And I'm really, really grateful for that, Lord. I pray that as we we take time to regularly press pause in our life and align ourselves with you and with your heart, God. I pray that we would have the eyes to see the opportunities that you put in front of us to do that. And Lord, as we uh, continue to pursue you as individuals and as a church, God, uh, we just pray that you would more and more make us into the likeness of your son. We love you. We thank you for this time in your name. Amen.